Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for jumping on board, and it's been far, far too long since we've had our next guest in, Adam Wexler from KPRC Sports, back with us. And always good to talk Rockets with Adam because I just feel like he's always got one of the best perspectives in the entire city of Houston. And the Rockets win two of three against the defending champion Golden State Warriors, pick up the second one this past weekend. And Adam, what are your thoughts on where the Rockets are this season? I mean, the, the win against them on Saturday, uh, pretty cool because uh, when you consider they won two out of three and one of those with, was Chris Paul was only on one leg and they looked as good as we've seen them this year. That was probably one of the more uh, impressive wins just because I think they did force Golden State to do things that they don't normally do. One of them was obviously shoot poorly from a couple of guys and saying that seems kind of odd when uh, they shot nearly 50% from behind the arc. I was looking at some numbers to see how often a team has 30-plus assists, shoots 47% uh, from three-point distance, and makes at least 17 of them and still loses. And it was a it's not a very large number, and that's what Golden State managed to do in Houston. Uh, the Rockets could have easily blown out. They would have blown out every team in the league the way they played in the first quarter, except for Golden State. You know, 40 points. Uh, three three-pointers from Harden early. And again, Harden's not at 100%. Trevor Reza didn't play. Gerald Green didn't play. And as, as the guys kind of pointed out, they're about to get started on a healthy group. You know, the couple of games they're going to have between now and the All-Star break uh, over the next couple of weeks, they probably, again, barring future injury, uh, will finally have a healthy and active group for the first time all year. Gerald Green hasn't been around very long. Obviously, James Harden missed seven games. Chris Paul missed his share of games. Clint Capella's missed games. Bob Mute's missed games. So the idea that they could still peak at the end of the season when they're already one of the best teams in the league, uh, that's a to- an absolute reality. And I think that they, they are starting to believe in what they can do. And uh, I heard somebody talking about it, and it is, is absolutely right. Everybody's focused on the addition of Chris Paul. When, you know, almost 50 games in the season, people are completely missing the boat that the additions of Baamute and P.J. Tucker uh, have turned this team into a much more capable and flexible defensive team, which is really, again, all geared towards beating Golden State. You mentioned P.J. Tucker and Baamute and what they bring defensively. Do you see a scenario, especially with Gerald Green performing as well as he did when he's had his chance to play, do you see a scenario in the playoffs where maybe Ryan Anderson isn't even in the rotation. I just feel like we're, we're coming to the point where if Ryan Anderson, if his shot isn't there, then I don't know what he brings to the team as much. I mean, he's better at rebounding than, than we've seen him in the past, but I still think when you look at what Mbamba Mute does, what P.J. Tucker does, uh, and what you can get as far as defensively and also uh, just some of the other things that they can do that Ryan Anderson can't do, that might help them a little bit more in a playoff situation. I think the coaches are smart enough to figure out matchups and what works best and having the, the ability, because now your roster has some depth, to do what works best. All those things are possibilities. I think it's pretty remote. Uh, I think Ryan Anderson played his worst basketball of his career in the postseason as it went on and just basically couldn't make any shots, so he almost played himself out of the rotation. And I think the same thing is, is really the only way that would play into it, and he's been in one of those ruts where – He's just not making his shots, but it's pretty rare that a guy who, you know, leads the team in rebounding, 
It's not often that it's Anderson, but it was in their last game against Golden State, and it mattered. Uh, they needed those rebounds. They needed to dominate the glass in order to make that work, make that game happen. So he found a way to contribute in another area. And against teams that don't have a post player that's worth anything, he, he has some value out there. He doesn't have to do anything defensively, which means you're not losing anything defensively. You know, with the Warriors' use of Pachulia, and in some instances, David West, uh, he's a team they often don't really lose a whole lot defensively with with Anderson. I, I'm, I'm amazed at how the Rockets are able to do it. He almost never gets caught in a switch where he's matched up against somebody he can't defend, which seems like it should be everybody on Golden State. But it just didn't happen a whole lot in this last game. I'd have to go back and look at the previous two games to see if it did. But he's such a weapon for this team when he is on I'd have a hard time thinking that he's out of the rotation at any point in in any series um, unless it just something drastic was happening defensively. Were you surprised to hear Jeff Van Gundy say that it's going to be a Rockets Golden State final? He's basically calling it right now. (laughs) Not not surprised at all. I I mean, what what would make anybody think otherwise? I, I get that the rest of the conference isn't awful, but I just can't see any team beating either one of them. Uh, The other teams just aren't good enough, and that includes the San Antonio Spurs. I think the Spurs are going to be the same as always, always a very tough out. The Rockets, I hope, take last year's series into next year's series if, in fact, they meet San Antonio again. Embarrassing is the word they should be thinking about. They had no business losing to the Spurs last year. The Spurs were not better than them. They outplayed them enough to beat them four out of seven. Uh, they got that Rockets should have taken advantage of the injury situation, which they couldn't do even with uh, their own. But there's no way the Rockets should have lost to that team last year. And the Rockets have gotten better and the Spurs have gotten worse. Kawhi Leonard is almost the ultimate equalizer in that series. He can be that good, but he's also probably going to come into the playoffs after having a very ragged regular season where he hasn't been on the court very much. And, you know, I, I like that LaMarcus Aldridge has, has turned himself into a Spurs type player where he figured out how to be effective doing what he does best and falling into their team concept. But they're just I just don't think they have the firepower and just don't think they have the talent to beat either one of those two teams. And what the Rockets did to Minnesota in their first meeting between the two without Trevor Reza, without Gerald Green, with James Harden on a minutes limit, they manhandled them. And, and I don't see it that Minnesota has quite – they finally figured one thing out. I'll give Minnesota credit. And some of these other Western Conference teams still aren't there yet. If you can't shoot the ball and you can't shoot from distance, you can forget about competing in the NBA. And Minnesota's getting closer to figuring that out when they added Jimmy Butler, added a couple players who could shoot the ball a little bit. I'm sure they're still pretty disappointed that Andrew Wiggins is just an okay, uh, above average, but not a star NBA player. Kind of hurts the cause. Daryl rarely likes to get go through a trading deadline where he doesn't do something, but what what should he do? What do you think he will do when this trading de- deadline comes up? Because it's hard to find where the Rockets can really improve much on this roster, and, and the chemistry with this group is about as good as we've seen in a long time. Any player they would add, would, I'd be hard-pressed to see that player having any impact in the postseason unless they've suffered a, a catastrophic injury. A player out for the season before the deadline, would cause the Rockets to make a deal, and that's at any spot. Uh, They'd have no depth at point guard, except the fact that both of their point guards start and should be in the game at all times. You know, they've gone through Briante Weber and now Markel Brown and Demetrius Jackson. Uh, Rare for teams not to carry three point guards, and the Rockets are kind of in that boat. That's the one area they 
could look for somebody. But again, that player is not needed unless you're trying to, you know, con- you know, restrict the minutes or restrict the play of Chris Paul and James Harden. Unless that player actually brings something rather than just being the the savior for their minutes, I don't see much there. And again, the three man big rotation of Black and Capella and Nene is perfectly fine as long as Nene in the playoffs with the rest and the days off and the travel can go every single night. He's going to play 50 games this season, maybe, tops. Uh, they rest him on purpose. He's also been hurt, so there's a lot of games he's not out there for, and, and that hurts the team. But in the playoffs, again, unless he is hurt, he's probably going to be out there every single night. I don't think there's a big that's available that would supplant somebody that's already in their current rotation of those three bigs. I think those are the things uh, Daryl Morey would be looking for. I just don't personally think he's going to find them. If he makes a deal, it'll be simply because that's what he does. I don't necessarily think it will be anything that makes much of an impact on this year's team. Is James, does he look like the same James uh, from earlier in the season? Is it? He said something about just getting his wind back. Do you think it's that simple, or do you feel like he's – really 100% after after having the injury. He'll be 100% during the week. Uh, you know, come back on Thursday, play again on Saturday, don't play again until Monday night, and then every other day over the course of the week and, uh, until the back-to-backs on Saturday, Sunday, he'll be fine. Uh, I think he's essentially back now. I don't think he was himself quite against either Timberwolves or the Warriors, but I think he will be now. A week's worth of NBA basketball pretty much will do that for him. He was only out seven games. Even though it's a leg injury, uh, I don't think the hamstring is bothering him. I just think it's simply uh, getting back up to speed and, and getting back into shape. And, and, and those things come uh, through practice and through play. And as long as he doesn't miss anything, he's, he's going to be fine this week. Well, since it's so hard to find concern with the Rockets, and, and there's not a whole lot of concern with the Astros, but I did want to ask you about the, the Garrett Cole deal. Uh, just looking at the at the Astros roster now, is there anywhere do you feel like they, they really need to make a, a big improvement uh, going into the season? We've heard about, you know, maybe a lefty reliever. Uh, my concern, I guess, still is going, are we going to go into the postseason again this, this year with uh, Giles as the closer? I, I still feel like that's that's the biggest concern uh, when you look at the entire uh, Astros roster. Uh, there's no question. Those are the two biggest uh, things they have to consider when you get to the postseason. I do think a left-handed reliever is something they should absolutely be looking to add. They certainly don't have one that they can count on on their team, and I do think that has value in the postseason. Uh, obviously, the closer's role is another one, but something I said last night on Sports Sunday, with the addition of Garrett Cole, what you've essentially done, if your pitching staff is healthy at playoff time, you've guaranteed two of these three, if not all three, uh, are useful out of your bullpen in Charlie Morton, Brad Peacock, and Lance McCullers because you're not going to use a five-man rotation in the postseason. You you have f- uh, six capable starters if you include Peacock, and I do expect him to be effective again next year even though this was a breakout year for him on the mound. All of a sudden, a bullpen that you go 162 games with that doesn't have you know some of those uh, pieces to it, they change, and everything changes in the postseason. And the reason the Astros won in the postseason, among the many, is they were able to utilize elite starting pitchers as postseason relievers when they became elite shutdown relief pitchers. The work that McCullers and Morton did is invaluable to the cause, and I'm I'm almost certain they would probably need it again. But the other part of it is not only would it push somebody to the bullpen. You've got a guy that, again, Garrett Cole's 200 innings plus guy. And while older baseball players would laugh at that as me calling them a, an Iron Man and a workhorse, 
He led the league in starts last year in the National League. Two of his last three seasons have been over 200 innings. Uh, just a, a minor injury in, two, in 2016 kept him from doing that three straight seasons. He was out for a while then, but nothing that's lingered on into to last year. A little concern about his elevation and his command. He elevated way too many pitches last year. But opening day 2017, the Pirates had Garrett Cole on the mound. The Tigers had Justin Verlander on the mound. The Astros had Dallas Keuchel on the mound. And now they're all pitching for the same team here in Houston. Have you seen a better starting pitching staff in Astros history if, if all these guys can stay healthy? Nolan said it was better than his 1980 staff. And, you know, that that's obviously in the conversation with maybe top three staffs in, in Astros history. Is there is there been better staff from one through five? The names that this staff has and what they've accomplished is probably greater because I don't I don't think people realize that the, the staff that Ryan was on was not a, a who's who of. Cy Young candidates and Hall of Fame capable pitchers, but the results were there, and that's really what it's all about. I don't know that this group will produce those results. Uh, we're, exp- I think everybody is convinced that they're going to see the same Justin Verlander they saw here in Houston over the final two months of the season and the postseason. He only pitched that way for Detroit for about five or six weeks, all of it leading up to the trade deadline. He wasn't nearly as good the first half of the season. He hasn't been a, a Cy Young, an obvious Cy Young candidate each of these last three seasons in Detroit. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been quite to that level. So it's not a given that he pitches quite that well this year. Uh, I, I expect him to, but it's certainly not a given. And the Astros are also adding Garrett Cole off of his worst season as a starting pitcher in the majors. And his 31 homers allowed last year was second worst in the National League, and now he's coming to Minute Maid Park. Uh, he'll, he'll have to figure some things out. You know, Dallas Keuchel was hurt last season. It's still going to be in the results, and it's not even a given they have the best pitching staff in the majors because of what the Indians are capable of. But they certainly put themselves in a phenomenal position, uh, not to mention as long as they don't give up eight or nine runs a night, they're probably still going to win because the offense should be fantastic. One of the things that uh, we keep talking about in baseball is trying to shorten the games. Rob Manfred's been trying to do different things, trying to come up with different ideas. One of the things you know he wants to do is uh, the, the 22nd uh, pitch count, uh, some other things that they, they've been working on, that's maybe to limit mound visits and stuff like that. The, the players don't seem to be real amenable to this. Uh, what do you think – uh, is the the player's issue with some of this stuff and uh, what can be done to shorten games at this point? I mean, that they haven't already tried. Well, I think the pitch clock is is happening. I'm not sure how they're going to figure out to reach an agreement on what what they need. But having watched it work in uh, the lower levels and how quickly things move in that regard, there are so, only so many things you can do. That's one of them. And I think that will some form of it uh, or some some measure of speeding it up in that manner will probably happen. Same thing with guys stepping out of the batter's box, a minor deal. And we saw that being implemented and how that can have an impact. I think the players are probably right. The mound visits is, is probably something they're going to have a hard time getting rid of. That's much more about the course of the game. And, you know, you can limit the coaches from doing it. And obviously that's been in place for years with the number of mound visits and in, in, in per inning and making pitching changes and what they need to do. And I don't think it's coming from that angle, but you know, go back to the playoff game, and that's where probably the, you know, if, if they were in a courtroom and they were presenting Exhibit A, Major League Baseball could easily pick out any of the Astros-Yankees game and say, uh, here's Exhibit F, the 19th uh, mound visit between Brian McCann and Lance McCullers. Uh, can't they get this done in the first or second? Why do they have to go do it 15 times? It happened a lot. It extended those games. Those playoff games took forever. But I don't think 
taking away the ability of the pitcher and catcher to communicate is ever going to happen. I guess the thing that I, I think about is we, we've got technology. I mean, we're still working on there. They're talking about, well, we're, we're worried about people stealing signs and stuff like that. Can we get to something maybe to the point where we're not putting down fingers and guys aren't having to look about, I mean, we should be able to do something electronically where the catcher can communicate with the pitcher and, and the dugout and everything like that. It seems like uh, baseball it, there's always this hesitancy of like, w- w- let's not do tech, go ahead with more technology. Um, but they've done that with replay. And the other thing that y- you think has to shorten games is, you know, when are they going to do that with the umpires and, and do the balls and strike calls? Because that's something that can definitely shorten games. One thing you, you won't have at that point, you won't have guys arguing with the umpires anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, well, they better hope that they don't have any you know, nights where something is going wrong or there's a malfunction. That's the thing with leaving everything to technology uh, when everything isn't going well. I mean, think of the simplicity of uh, some of the other sports, especially football, when you know the, the play clock goes down or, or the game, something. And we'll keep it here on the field, the referees, the officials always say. You know, if you're putting in a electronic balls and strikes and something goes wrong that night, now all of a sudden you're, you're the one team in – in the league that night that has to play with an umpire who hasn't called balls and strikes in three weeks or three years or who knows what, I still think we're a ways away from that. Um, you know, quarterbacks and, and offensive coordinators have headsets, microphones, basically earpieces built into their sideline work and obviously their helmets. And I'm sure pitchers and catchers could do something like that, but there'll be guys, there'll be batters that'll just lean back and listen to what you're whispering to the pitcher. I think the the sign stealing is going to happen almost no matter what they do. And again, similarly with technology, if pitchers and catchers are communicating via some sort of device, then players and teams are always going to be worried that someone has figured out how to hack into that and they're going to be stealing the signs that way. That's just a part of what teams think is is their advantage. And I, I don't think we're close to any significant changes on that front, even though they're obviously in discussions. I think the sides are at odds about it, so I don't think there's a resolution in, in our immediacy. Yeah, I think about the human factor, though, and you talk about that, but I'm reminded that uh, about the time earlier this year where there was a referee that went down during one of the Rockets games, and the Rockets were real upset because I think it was against the Celtics that they weren't making calls and you know, that, that happens too. You know, sometimes the human aspect stuff goes wrong as well. Somebody gets sick, somebody's not there. So you have to work around it. So it's not perfect, but I think if you can at least perfect the system a little bit and, and make it a little bit, you know, a little bit more uh, close to, to how you want it to move it along faster, I think you, you might get somewhere with that. I mean, is there, is there any other ideas that you have beyond those couple of things? Is there anything else that they can do? I mean, I, I'm, I wouldn't be upset if they limited the number of pitching changes per inning, you know, maybe just to, you know, two per inning or something like that, unless there was an injury, but you know, something, just something to, to where we're not having these three and a half and four hour games because uh, the players can say, we, you know, it's not a big deal. We don't care, but they're not the ones that matter. They're not the ones that are having to sit through three and a half. It's their job to sit there through three and a half hours. It's not a big deal for them, for the fans, uh, for the people that are trying to stay interested in the game, they're the ones that matter. Until they shorten games by limiting the number of outs needed to finish a game, like say make it a seven inning game and you only need 21 outs, these changes are just going to be so limited in the impact that they have. How many games are, are managers making four and five pitching changes over an inning or two stand? And people are saying, well, man, we could really speed up the game. Yeah, you could speed up this game 
this particular game where Dave Roberts decided to change pitchers five different times. And think about the things that we keep hitting on multiple pitching changes in an inning. Um, all these things, the mound visits between pitcher and catcher, they're all uh, magnified in the playoffs. It's the playoff games that are causing the majority of these issues. And understandably, it'd be nice if regular season games didn't last three hours on average. But if, if one season they last three hours and one minute, you implement changes, and all, all of a sudden you've got it down to two hours and 54 minutes, is it's a, it sounds significant. The overall time of baseball games that have been played over the course of the season in mass will go down. But is a family going to say, well, I can absolutely sit through a game that lasts two hours and 49 minutes, but there's no way I'm staying up late for a game that goes three hours and three minutes. It's just I don't really think they can make enormous impact with it. And the suggestion of limiting pitching changes per inning to me, I just I, I personally hate things like that. That, that impacts the, the integrity of the game type stuff. What, what, you, some artificial rule saying, just remember, you're only allowed to make two pitching changes during this inning, so pick them wisely. I just You got matchups. That's why you carry a left-handed reliever. That's why you have a right-handed pinch hitter. Uh, you want to force their hand. You're trying to get this guy out of the game. And, and I, just, I like the strategy of all that, and I would, I would hate to limit that. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I haven't talked to you since the World Series. What do you remember, first of all, about... You grew up an Astros fan, I believe, and what what do you remember about going to your to your first game? Who you saw uh, pitch? Uh, who you saw play? And 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 then what was it like uh, when you saw that final out? I mean, it, it's different. You're you're a journalist now. You're you're trying to be a little bit more level headed, but you know it, there had to be something at least a little bit emotionally that went through your head as, as the Astros got the final out for their first World Series. Uh, well, on the front side of your question, I wish I could tell you, but I can't. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't really remember that or maybe even stuff like that. Went to countless games at the Astrodome in the late 70s, early 80s, even was able to, to make it to one of the playoff games in 1980 against the Phillies. Probably a memory from that game is what I remember most. It was just because we happened to be sitting out uh, in the left field uh, outfield. And I just remember, I don't even remember the play or who hit the ball or whatever. The, you know, the Phillies were defending and the ball comes back our direction and you lose it because we were the, you know, there were limited visibility for when the ball would go all the way up against the wall. And there's just a couple of plays. I just that's what kind of stands out. And having been to some of the playoff misfortunes in the dome against the Braves over the handful of years that was going down, uh, really, it's totally different. Like you're asking me what the last out felt like. Well, I'll take you back to the you know the series against the Yankees. It's game seven. They, they clinch it. They win game seven. Everybody spills onto the field. It's unbelievable. They're going to the World Series. I'm stuck in, in the umpire's tunnel, holding the camera, waiting to get onto the field. And the only reason I know I can go on the field is because I can hear it. I can't see it. I, I'm watching it on a monitor underneath uh, uh, the, uh, the dugout. So it's a little bit different on this side of it, doing the work side of it. But also is I'm inside the locker room in Boston when they clinch uh, that series in game four, I'm on the field after game seven and in the locker room talking to players and, you know, talking to Craig Biggio after that game and, and things like that. And then game seven, I happened to be in studio in the World Series. So I was on TV with uh, Dominique and Bill for about two and a half hours, kind of weaving our way through uh, the celebrations outside Minute Maid Park, some of the other areas of Houston where people were going crazy and then going back and forth to L.A. with 
our crews in Los Angeles on the field and in the clubhouse and getting interviews and hearing how excited the players were about bringing all that back to Houston. So just a totally different perspective on it, but very easy to see uh, what it meant to the city. And the good part about it is I just got to meet so many fans in person that I really felt like I knew over all these years because covering the team this long and even being a fan for some of it when I was a kid, I've seen these people hundreds and hundreds of times at events, at games and in the stands. And, you know, these are people that uh, it meant a whole lot too. I was going to say you, you did sports radio for years. Did you miss not going on the radio after the Astros won the World Series and just getting that reaction, that sort of visceral reaction from the fans? Yeah, it's totally different, and uh, it's pretty cool. I always enjoyed that. I still enjoy doing it when I get the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to hear from them. And, and, again, it's the same type of thing. You hear from the same types of people or literally the same people over the course of you know, this year and the year before and the year before and the downtimes. And now look at where, you know, things are right now. And, and it is great to, to hear from their side of it and how, how excited people are. They, uh, you know, in radio, they uh, hopefully they're not speechless. But I got the feeling talking to some fans, especially at FanFest, uh, even several months later and at the parade a week or so later, uh, they still were, were almost in shock that the team that really hadn't been close. Obviously, the one World Series trip, more heartache than uh, exaltation over the 50-plus years of the franchise. And, you know, after missing the playoffs in 2016 to, to turn it all around and win the World Series and think that now there's several in their future, that's a pretty good time. Yeah, the, the, the one that really I felt like was speaking for me a little bit, and I don't know how you feel about this because I think you and I are about the same age and as well as Reed Ryan uh, reads about our age and and when he talked about winning the World Series and, and you saw him getting choked up and he talked about 80 and 86 and 98 and 04 and 05 I think that's as much as anything he sort of expressed the way I felt after after watching this you know take place all these years and, and kind of waiting for it to finally happen yep uh, Craig Biggio was basically in tears on the field in, in LA after they'd won it or very close to it it was pretty emotional and these are uh, people who have, I mean, the majority of their adult life, and in Reed's case, the majority of his entire life, uh, or basically his entire life. That's, this is his organization. I think he grew up watching it, being a fan of it, being very close to it, clearly, because of his dad. Then getting, in, you know, playing baseball, getting into baseball, getting into the front office side of baseball, and ultimately uh, being, you know, in the front office for this team, being the president of the Astros to see, to be that when it happens and when it could happen on into the future. It, it's something that I think the city also enjoys because they get the feeling that there are people, especially at the top that are just like them. They're fans of the baseball team, which clearly Reed is what's in store at, over at channel two in the next, uh, week or so you guys got anything, um, big coming up, anything interesting? Well, obviously, the Super Bowl matchup is set. We've got the game on uh, on KPRC, so we'll have a bunch of things leading up to that. We'll have a couple of crews in Minnesota for the what I expect to be the sixth Super Bowl win for Tom Brady. I, it doesn't matter who's there in the NFC, and it really doesn't matter what year it is or anything else. I would be picking them to win it pretty much every time, every year, which I always do. And they almost always have the opportunity uh, to prove me right, but we'll be there for that. So uh, we'll have Sports Sunday coming from there in two weeks, and uh, that'll be February 4th. Ten days later, uh, I'll be in Florida for spring training for the Astros. Sounds good, Adam. Thanks so much for doing this. Always good to talk to you. And what's your uh, Twitter handle if people want to catch up with you over there? You can always do that. I'm totally addicted. I'll be on Twitter all day, every day, at A Wexler KPRC. Same thing on Facebook, at A, uh, a Wexler uh, KPRC. 
or at Adam Wexler, KPRC on Facebook. Hey, sounds good. Thanks so much for doing this, Adam. You got it. Thanks again for listening. And if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. If you have an Android device, download our free Houston Sports Talk app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.